Good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. You're all here? Okay, good. Okay, um, I'm wearing a suit again. And I'm running out of tides. I only have two. I got some from the 80s, but I didn't think I should wear them. So I got this one on vacation. I don't know why I bought it. I guess uh, it was prophetic. I knew I'd need it someday. We've got a very special morning for you. I've got uh, three uh, nieces who are going to be having their babies dedicated this morning immediately after the service. That's why we have a few extra people in church here today. And uh, if you're visiting here today, I want to say a warm welcome from Uncle Alan. And uh, if you're not related to me, a warm welcome from Alan. Uh, we are in, a, in the midst of a series called Cross Church Goes to the Mountains. And this morning, uh, we're going to go to the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, the, the problem is, uh, is that we don't really know which mountain it is. Um, there's been some speculation that maybe it's Mount Tabor, which doesn't mean anything to anybody here, uh, or Mount Hermon, which is the highest mountain in Israel. I believe personally that it's Mount Hermon. And um, I'll tell you why. First of all, it is the highest peak in the area, highest mountain in the area. Secondly, it's located near Caesarea Philippi. Well, you'll understand why these two things are important in just a moment. But first of all, let me just show you a quick map. And uh, there you see the Mount of Transfiguration way up in the north, and uh, Caesarea Philippi, a place where uh, Jesus spoke to his disciples and uh, discussed, what did he discuss with them? He discussed the fact that he would have to go to die. And the second thing that he discussed with them was that they had to take up their cross and follow him. Again, we'll talk about that in a moment. What does that mean? You see Nazareth down uh, a little bit to the left, and then Jerusalem down at the bottom of the map. That would be my niece. Uh, my great niece. Mount Hermon, especially high mountain, the highest peak in Israel. Now this is especially for those who, who love Israel, who want to go to Israel. Anybody like to go to Israel with me? Or just go on your own or with somebody else? We'd love to have you go. Just a bit of, uh, of interesting facts about Israel. Mount, uh, Mount Hermon, the Mount of Transfiguration, is the highest mountain in Israel. And in fact, they've got snow year-round. If you go to the north of Israel, you can ski. And in the same day, you can drive to the south and go swimming in, uh, in water that's at least uh, 70 to 80, degree, 80 degrees. It's a, it's a inter very interesting land. And um, this is a place where Jesus came as God's servant to bring truth, not just to Israel, but to the whole world. And it was on the Mount of Transfiguration that Jesus shows himself to his disciples as, in, as the Christ, as the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, the law uh, represented by Moses and the prophets represented by none other than Elijah the two great men of the Old Testament. Jesus wanted to show his disciples that he was, in fact, the Messiah, the promised one, the one that God had promised to Israel for literally thousands of years. Now, let's just move another slide ahead. There's, there's a view of, of uh, Mount Hermon in the summertime. Um, again, just right to the, the northernmost part of Israel, the snow on its peak still, 
And then the next slide is that famous picture done by Raphael. Maybe you recognize that. Um, there's Jesus. I don't know if he was floating like that, but he definitely did meet with uh, Moses, who's on the right holding the tablets. Uh, or is that on the left? And then Elijah's on the right. And then there's Peter, James, and John at his feet. And uh, I don't know who those uh, people are over to the left there, but I think Raphael didn't really know his Bible that way because it was just Peter, James, John with Jesus, and they view this fantastic transfiguration. Now, before I go any further, uh, this, the, the story of the transfiguration is... Um, it's really not really clear to a lot of people. In fact, uh, every account that I read of it, any description, any, any interpretation of it, any commentary on it, is generally fairly weak. And so uh, when I say weak, I mean it's, it's, there's not a strong message that comes through. So what I want to do this morning is I want us to look at what it meant for the disciples. How important was it for them to experience this transfiguration? Well, let's look at the passage of Scripture, first of all, found in Matthew chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, you can take them and turn there. Matthew 17, verses 1 to 5. And it says this, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Now, if you remember the story of Moses after he'd gone up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, that's exactly how Moses was when he came down. In fact, his face shone so bright that, that nobody could look at him. He had to wear a veil over his face. And here's Jesus looking the same way. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now I want to concentrate on the, those last words of verse 5. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Because if there's ever been a time in the history of the church where, where people who call themselves Christians function in a way where they are in fact not listening to Jesus, it's today. The very mark of one who is a Christ follower, the very mark of one who is a Christian, is that they do what Jesus says. Now I'm going to stand here before I go any further and declare to you all that I don't always get it right. And everybody said, I heard my family really say amen. <laughs> I, I don't always get it right. In fact, you know what? I fail so much, fail so often. But I want you to know today, this is my ambition. This is my desire. This is what I want to do. And even when it's difficult for me to do, I know with all my heart that if I don't do it, if I don't do what God wants me to do, if I don't listen to Jesus, then I'm not pleasing Jesus. Does this make sense? This is what it means to be a Christ follower. It's, the easy part is going to church. The easy part is setting your alarm and getting up early in the morning to go to church, right? <laughs> the easy part is not going to the beach and coming to church, right? <laughs> the easy part is getting involved in Sunday school. The easy part is getting involved working in the nursery, taking care of my great nieces. <laughs> 
The easy part is getting involved in the church life. The hard part is doing the things that Jesus tells you to do, the hard things, like making sure you get your relationships right, making sure you do the hard thing, like forgive, like be generous, like give, like help those in need. That's the hard part. Like humble yourself. Like do justice when there is a lack of justice. These are the hard things. And yet this is what it means to be a Christ follower. And this is exactly what the disciples needed to know, needed to learn, needed to hear if they were going to carry on following Jesus Christ. So let us talk this morning really briefly about some of the very practical lessons of the transfiguration. And I could talk about how, yes, indeed, Jesus is a fulfillment of, uh, of, of the law and the prophets as witnessed as, with the appearance of Moses and Elijah, but I'm not going to get into that this morning. I could talk about how the transfiguration proves that heaven now is open to, the whole, to all who put their faith in Christ, but I'm not going to talk about that. I could talk about... Uh, how it's a lesson of the end of the age. I'm not going to get into that this morning. But what I do want to talk about is how we are to live as people of the kingdom of God. And the first thing you need to recognize is this. If you're going to be a Christ follower, then don't settle for second best. Did you hear me? If you're going to be a Christ follower, then, then don't settle for second best. I want you to imagine this scene for a moment. These disciples who literally lived at sea level. They uh, worked the boats and the nets of the Sea of Galilee. They were fishermen. They, their, their life really didn't vary much from that. Their life basically took place around the Sea of Galilee, catching fish, get up in the morning. Actually, they would be up in the middle of the night catching fish and then go home, sleep, wake up, eat, goat, catch fish, go home, sleep, wake up, eat fish, go out, catch fish. That would be their life. Jesus comes along and he says, follow me and I'm going to introduce you to something brand new. I'm going to open your eyes and you're going to see things you've never seen before. You're going to experience things you've never experienced before. You're going to experience life to the full. You're going to experience abundant life. And Peter's like, count me in. <laughs> I'm happy to leave the, the fish nets behind. I'm, I'm happy to leave everything behind, and, and so they did. And Jesus takes them up Mount Hermon, and they see sights that they have never seen before. They've seen, they see beauty that they've never seen before. They can see the Mediterranean Sea. They can see the island of Cyprus. They could see Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. Remember we talked about that a few weeks ago where they, the, the, the tribes of Israel were divided up and they, would, they heard the law of God being given. They could see, some say they could see the temple of Jerusalem from that high vantage point, over 9,000 feet. And their breath was taken away. Some of you know that this past summer, or actually every summer, we go to Banff. And uh, this time we climbed up, actually we took this, we, <laughs> I cheated, we took the cable car up Sulphur Mountain, which is the best way to climb a mountain, <laughs> I would agree with that. 
And then after we got up there, then, then we began the hike. And it, I think it was a round trip of maybe six kilometers, maybe a bit more, where we hiked up to, to the Sulphur Mountain Peak. And it was Chris Silkey that was along with me and uh, I think Nicholas. And uh, we got to that peak and you could literally see all the mountain peaks around you. It was absolutely breathtaking. You could see the valleys of, of the mountains going in the different directions. Sun was shining, and I'll tell you, I didn't want to come down from that mountain peak. Chris and I sat there talking and staring out into the vastness of the beauty that God had created. And I can imagine that the disciples would be seeing the same thing and think good to themselves. Man, we've got we to gotta live here. We've got to stay here. I mean, I don't know if you've ever heard of, of mountain madness. Anybody ever heard of that? It's once, you've, once you've experienced the mountains like that, I mean, you want to be there all the time. And, and I, I guess that's why we go back every year. We've got a bit of mountain madness. We, it, there's just never-ending scenes of beauty and splendor. I've been going there for over 25 years, and I'm still seeing things I've never seen before. And you wish you could stay forever. Now, I want, I want the Spirit of God to speak to your heart this morning because here are these three disciples. They've never seen this before. They're taken to a new height. And they're thinking, wow, this is it. And I've said to my kids, every time we drive home from Banff, I say, wouldn't you like to go and live there? <laughs> and it was, uh, I think it was Jesse, wise Jesse, who said, Dad, if you lived there, it wouldn't be special anymore. <laughs> Thank you, son. Thank you. You see, we're, we're not created to live on mountaintops. You know that very few things will grow up there? You can't sustain yourself up there. When it's sunny, it's fantastic. And you know, by the time we, it was sunny and beautiful. By the time we got down from climbing from the, the peak of Sulphur Mountain, the rain started to fall. And I mean, it was a driving rain. We were soaking wet. I thought to myself, well, I'm sure glad I'm not at the peak right now once that rain began to fall. You think, you think that that place that you're in right now is, is the best, but I would say this, that the best place for you to be is where Jesus is. And that's exactly what the scripture says. This is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Do what he says. These disciples at the top of this mountain, struck with the splendor and the beauty of it all, suddenly experience something even greater. They experience the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appear. Suddenly, Jesus' garments become like snow white. His face shines. And they hear the voice of God. Well, now that's a day. That's a, a day worth remembering. That's a day worth talking about. I'm going to tell you this. The problem with North American Christianity is that we're far too content with what this world and what this life has to offer. We're, we're too, we, we think that the, the, the great thing is the mountaintop, but it's not. What's... what's What's the best, what's the greatest is that experience with Jesus Christ. And that's what we forget. And rather than going for 
that experience with Jesus Christ. We'd rather just experience a mountaintop. Well, you know what your mountaintop is, that thing that brings you joy, the thing that brings you pleasure. I want to tell you that there is nothing in this world that satisfies like your relationship to Jesus Christ. All the things of this world are as nothing. And I'm going to tell you something. These disciples, they were following Jesus, and they were convinced that Jesus was going to set up his kingdom. They were convinced that they were going to reign with Christ, that somehow they were going to have great power in Christ's earthly kingdom. But Jesus is saying, no, this is not what this is about. We're talking about a spiritual experience. And Jesus was actually tempted on the mountaintop, I believe it was actually this very mountaintop. We read in Matthew 4, 8 to 10, that the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And the devil says to Jesus, all this I will give you, all the kingdoms of this world and all its splendor, I will give it to you if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You see, this is the thing. We fail to recognize what matters most in this life in this world. And if you go back one chapter, this, this transfiguration happens in Matthew 17. Go back one chapter to Matthew 16, and this is what you read. Jesus says, what does it profit a man or a woman if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? And so the question this morning is this. Are you prepared to sell your soul out for a bit of fame, a bit of fortune, and a bit of pleasure? Are you willing to, or are you willing to say, God, I'm going to put you first. You're going to be number one in my life. I want you more than anything. Because that's really, my friends, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And that is the lesson that Peter, James, and John learned on this mountaintop. More important than fame, fortune, pleasure is following Jesus and doing what he says. This is the message of Christianity. Anything, this is Christianity boiled down to its, to its very simplest form. This is what it's all about. This is what it means, doing what Jesus says. And you know, you, if you look back a little over 100 years at the Pentecostal movement, and for those of you who don't know what that is, that's, we're actually part of the PAOC, and that doesn't maybe mean a lot to a lot of people. But I'll tell you this, it's, it's uh, the movement that I grew up in, the movement that my grandparents were part of. And the thing that marks that movement, contrary to what some might think about Pentecostals, was not kookiness or strangeness. It wasn't Pentecostals swinging from chandeliers. You'll notice we got ours up tight to the ceiling, so <laughs> that doesn't happen around here. There's nobody rolling in the aisles. But the thing that marks those early days of the Pentecostal movement was that people were 100% sold out for Jesus. That was all that mattered. And I remember going to my grandparents' house in their, in their later years and sitting and talking to them and being impressed with the fact that all that mattered to them was Jesus and having a relationship with him and doing what he says. In just a, a few moments, we're going to be dedicating my nieces, which now are fourth-generation believers, or at least I hope will be fourth generation. I pray that they'll be fourth generation believers. But what a rich heritage of people who listen to Jesus and do what he says. This is what it means to be a Christ follower.
This is what it means to be a Christian. I wonder this morning if you in your, in your spiritual life are settling for second best. I wonder if you are just going through the motions or, or if you really have that vibrant relationship with him. One of the things that you'll notice about, about being a Christian who walks closely with Christ is that you don't always have to be asking yourself the question, what is God's will for my life? What's God's will for my life? Because you will be walking with him and you will know him and you will know what he wants of you because of your intimate relationship with him. There'll be no confusion. There'll be no frustration. You'll feel the peace and the joy of the Lord. And I'm going to say this to you this morning. The mark of those who have not settled for second best, the mark of those who are listening to Jesus and do what he says, is that that person has a peace in their heart, a peace that passes all understanding. That person is not marked by confusion. That person is marked with, with, with peace and a joy and a confidence and an assurance because they're walking with Jesus. Are you settling for second best? You know you're settling for second best if you lack the joy of the Lord, if you lack the peace that passes all understanding, if you lack the confidence to face life and face what lays ahead. Remember my grandmother, latter years of her life, her, her body was not what it needed to be, her mind wasn't what it needed to be, and all I remember her saying is, you know what, Alan, I just want to go home. I just want to go home. And she taught me when I was just a kid not to be afraid of death, not to be afraid of dying, but to know that there was somebody waiting for me on the other side, and I had nothing to be afraid of. I'm telling you, if you have settled for second best, then you're going to be afraid of tomorrow. You're going, to be, you're going to lack that confidence. You're going to lack that joy and that peace. It's supposed to be yours as a Christ follower. I can tell you right now that Jesus was on his way to the cross, and those disciples were, were going to lose their Savior, and they would not understand what was going on but they'd be able to look back at what happened at the cross, at what happened at, at the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, listen to me. If you're going to be a Christ follower, if you're going to do what God wants you to do, then you can't settle for second best. And the second thing is you can't do your own thing. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And I like the way the Bible says this. It's God interrupts Peter as Peter's talking here. Lord, it's good to put up shelters. And, and verse 5 says, While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said. I love that. God is interrupting Peter. Peter, in other words, Peter, shut up. <laughs> you're not making any sense. What you're, what you're saying is foolish. You're not going to put up any shelters. You're not, going to, you're not going to do your own thing. I've got something far more important for you. And here's the thing that we do. We, we are a people who always pursue our own desires, our own ambitions, and our, our, our own dreams or wishes. But God says if you're going to be a Christ follower, you're supposed to listen to Jesus. And so here's, uh, here's Peter all ready to build some shelters. 
But God says, that's not what we want here. That's not what I want. That's not my plan. Peter said, I want to stay put here. This is a cool place to be. We're on top of the world. We can see the world. Elijah and, and Moses are here. Jesus is here. We've got everything we need. We're going to stay put. God says, no, that's not what I want. Boy, we are, we, are, we are just notorious for pursuing our own agenda, doing our own thing, doing things the way we want to do it. And God says, no, I've got something else for you to do. It's interesting that fast forward from this time, three, about 300 years, and the history reports that believers from around the world were making pilgrimages to the Mount of Transfiguration. And they built, they actually ended up building three large churches in the 6th century to, <laughs> to commemorate this, this event. Now, the, it's interesting, Peter is considered the very first pope. God said to the first pope, don't build three tabernacles. 600 years later, they're built. Why did they build them? Because people would rather stay on a mountaintop, away from the... The, the filth, the grime, the injustice, the impurity of life. But God says, listen to me, if you're going to be my follower, then you've got to go back to that place and care for the broken, the hurting, the needy. This is what it means to be a Christ follower. It's not that you keep your hands clean, it's that you keep your heart clean. Get off the mountaintop and go back to where the need is. Go back to the place where people are broken and hurting and go show them my love, God says. When I hear people say, you know, where is God? How come, how come God is not there to help those who are broken and hurting and needing God? It, it's, not, it's not God who's not showing up. It's, it's us. It's we who are his hands and feet who are not showing up to show his love to those people because we are his hands and his feet. And so God says to Peter, never mind your crazy plans. Just do what my son says. Listen to him, do what he says. And what does Jesus say? Again, you go back one, one chapter, Matthew 16, and look at verse 24, and it, it says this, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. He must take up his cross and follow me. This is what it means to be a Christ follower. It's no longer you doing what you want to do. It's no longer following your agenda. It means that you now will do what God wants you to do. And here's the thing, if you're not doing what he says, there's one of two things that's wrong. First, either you're not a Christian, you're not a Christ follower, or secondly, you're just simply living in disobedience. You're living in disobedience to God. And this morning, the Spirit of God is here to call you back to that place where you say, God, not my will, but thine be done. Lord, I'm prepared to deny myself, take up my cross, and do whatever you say. To be a Christ follower means that you just listen to Jesus and do what he says, plain and simple. And here's the thing. If you find yourself in the midst of the day, in the midst of the week, in the midst of the month, feeling like, you know, it's, things aren't making sense, it seems like life is confusing, why is things happening the way they are, why don't I have peace, go back to this. Those who have peace, those who have joy, those who have confidence to face each day are those who have not settled for second best 
and they're those who are being careful to do what Jesus says. Plain and simple as that. That's Christianity in a nutshell. That's what that Mount of Transfiguration is all about. Go down from this mountain doing what Jesus says. Wherever you're at in your life right now, that's what God's calling you to do. Just do what Jesus says. And you say, well, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, follow me. Do what I do. And I can tell you, I can tell you, there are so many times when I've said things and done things and I feel a check in my heart and I know that I'm not doing what Jesus wants me to do and I'm not saying what Jesus wants me to say and I'm not thinking what Jesus wants me to think. And it's at that moment I've got to say, Jesus, help me. Help me to listen to you. Help me to do what you say. That's it. That's the Christian life. That's the Christian message. That's the gospel. Very plain, very simple. It's not complicated. It can be adopted even by a child. But that's what it means. This morning we're dedicating three little babies, a little boy, little, two little girls, and these children have a Christian heritage. And that heritage is very simply that they are people who listen to Jesus. And as we come here this morning, we don't baptize them, we dedicate them. And, and why do we dedicate them? Well, because really it's the parents who are saying, to the church and to all family members and all who have gathered here, they're saying, we want to raise our children to be the kind of people that listen to Christ. That's what this dedication is all about. These parents are going to make a, a, a vow before God and before you to say, we're going to raise our kids to listen to Jesus. I can tell you that at age 40, how old am I now, dear? Where, where are you? Am I 48? 48 years old? I can tell you that my, my Christian heritage means more to me now than it ever has in my whole life. I understand how utterly and completely important it is for me to teach my children to listen to Jesus, to do what he says, so that they would be spared the heartache, the pain, the grief, the sorrow that people experience when they don't listen to Jesus. This is not, I'm not condemning or judging you to understand that. What I'm trying to say is this, is that the joy of the Lord, the peace and the confidence to face life comes through following and listening to Jesus. Plain and simple. It's a very plain, very simple message. Listen to him. Let's pray. Father, we want to say thank you right now for your word, which is very plain and very simple. And Lord, even as I stand here, especially in the presence of my family, who know me so well and know all my, all my warts and all my wrinkles and all my failings, God, I stand here this morning and I thank you for the privilege of being able to share what my desire is for my life and my family and to share, God, what your desire is for each one here today. Father, we pray right now that you would help us to be a people who go from this place 
listening to Christ and doing what he says, plain and simple. And we know, Lord, that with that comes the joy of the Lord. With that comes the peace. With that comes the confidence to face whatever life has for us. And so, God, we pray, make us a people who listen to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.